Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, trying her mostess, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. Today's guest is Devri Bryn, and I found her on social media, and a lot of her content just really spoke to me. I love the way she thought. I love the way she talked. Now she has this book called You're Gonna Die Alone and Other Excellent News. There are little tiny bits as I've skimmed through the beginnings of this book that really have drawn me in. So many times when we read books, it feels like it's from people who have completed the journey. They figured it out, and they've come back to talk to us about it. But to meet in the mess is sort of where I feel like I've eternally been. And I feel like that's where I resonate the most. And there are so many different parts of what she speaks, even in the beginning of the book, that really, really drew me in. This one line I found myself thinking about for an hour after I first read it. I'm going to read it for you now. If you're anything like me, you might struggle with knowing exactly what you want to do with your life or exactly how to become who you want to be. You might find yourself wrestling with the push and pull of knowing you're a good person, but feeling like you're not. Maybe there are people in your life who you desperately want to approve of you and who love you very much, but remind you that there is always something here or there you should change. If you're anything like me, or maybe that little voice reminding you that you aren't quite worthy enough of some kind of love or acceptance that has kept you away from saying yes to opportunities, you wonder if you'll ever get again. Let's welcome Devery Bryn Donaldson to the show. Devery, I'm so excited for this. First of all, this was such, I saw one of your videos and I DM'd you and you're like, yeah, let's do it on Monday. And I'm so happy because I've been following you. It's somewhat recent and I genuinely, I just like your content. I like the way you think. I like the way you speak. I just shared one of your things this morning about how you talked about Margot Robbie being the perfect Barbie because she's always been cast in movies that she is a version of like a male's doll. And so for her to be able to come in and take on the role of Barbie. And I was like, damn, that's like, that's some good thought. I love people who can take something that for a lot of us seems fluffy and light. And you're like, but look deep. I love people like that. I love your content that way. It's funny. It's inspiring. 
I would love to sort of know, how did you get started on sharing that type of content on social media? Maybe you can explain it a little bit more for those who don't know you, don't follow you, and are hearing your voice for the first time. Wow. Okay. First of all, what an endorsement. (laughs) Sorry, I'm a fan. (laughs) I'm thrilled. I think I would describe myself as like, I've got, I'm like a clown with heart. You know, Mm. I got clown blood, but everything for me is deliberate. Mm. I don't do anything on accident. So I think deeply about everything because I I want to be a person on purpose. Mm. And I got started on the internet because I went on a hike and it was 75 degrees and I got really hot and I was mad about that. And I posted a little rant where I was like, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm like 50% potato. I retain heat like a starch. I'm Irish peasant material. I'll survive the winter, you know? (laughs) And that really took off. That was my first ever TikTok. I had one follower. I had downloaded it during the prime of the pandemic, like the same day I watched Tiger King, you know? Okay, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What a a marker in our life. We all know it. Exactly. The all-knowing Tiger King moment. (laughs) Yeah, I was like watching Tiger King. I had like a serving bowl of ravioli and I downloaded TikTok and then forgot about it. Yeah. And then I went on this hike. I did this rant. A friend was like, post this on TikTok. I had one follower and it got 9 million views. (gasps) And so (laughs) overnight... You know, it was sort of like the Arnold Schwarzenegger of opportunity kicked down my door and was like, sink or swim. And I was like, well, we'll swim. So I've been posting content ever since. And the lucky thing about how that happened is one, I've never looked worse in Mm. my life than Mm. coming off that height. Mm. So my God, the pressure to look a certain way on camera didn't exist for you. You were free. You were a free woman out the gates. I love that. Nowhere to go but up, baby. And then (laughs) the other part about it is that it was literally just me, how I think, how I talk. So there wasn't a brand voice to establish. There wasn't something unsustainable to try to continue. And everybody who liked me just liked me for for what I said and what I thought. And it turned out that I think my kind of lane when it comes to storytelling, because I consider myself a storyteller, Mm -hmm. my TikToks are like little 60 second monologues Mm -hmm. type thing that I like to try to like lead with humor and with heart. And I think what I stumbled into being good at is putting words to feelings that a lot of people feel. Yes. Which is tricky to do. It's tricky to do because we have thoughts all day long, but to Mm -hmm. actually translate them to common language, not exactly easy. Mm -hmm. And so I was getting people like, I use your videos, I text them, I send them to my daughter and we laugh over them or my sister's group text or, you know, we're nurses in a COVID unit and on our lunch break, we watch your videos and we laugh. And so I do everything with the hope that it makes somebody feel seen. Yeah. And that's evolved from being like, oh my gosh, here's this funny girl on TikTok to... I took this big leap and I went to Scotland, which I I think we'll talk about a little bit later on the eve of my 30th birthday. And so a bunch of other people started watching. I ended up in the Google's short film, The Year in Search for 2022, under the question of, can I change my life? And it was a clip of me. And then I, I wrote this book that's coming out in a few weeks. That's like the culmination of my 30 years of living mm-hmm. condensed and hopefully alchemized into something helpful yeah. for other people. And that's sort of that's sort of the trajectory. That's sort of how we got here. And I saw like and a big reason your book is called You're Going to Die Alone and Other Excellent News, which great title. <laughs> so filled Thank with you. joy. Um, 
But I saw you sort of say this one thing about the book coming out and how you felt like this isn't you're not meant to necessarily be a cycle breaker, but the passing of the batons. And I thought, wow, that's so I know you were speaking in an emotional state, but and I don't even know the context out of what brought you to that point. But I found it really powerful that you were like, it's not going to be perfect. I'm here to be part of something, part of a conversation, not a complete one. At least that's how I interpreted it. And I thought that that was a really, really, really vulnerable. Like I know a lot of your stuff is is thoughtful and it's funny. But with that, I was like, I immediately DM'd you because I was like, I, I don't I don't know what baton you're passing necessarily, but I kind of want to be a part of it. And there was like that collective like how do we carry these conversations bigger? Because I think that it shouldn't be a burden on one person's chest, right? It should be this passing. But I don't know if you want to share a little bit about that or if we can go into the book. That's totally up to you. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, when I have 60 seconds in a TikTok video mm-hmm. to make somebody feel seen and known or just make them laugh, you know, not yeah. everything has to be such a big deal. It's just not a lot of time. And so, this book is sort of the answer to the question. If I had one full day with somebody who I really loved and I wanted to give them everything I knew, Mm. every tool I've earned, every lesson I've learned to set them up for their best chance Mm -hmm. of making it, Mm -hmm. this is what I would say. Like this, everything in this book is what I would leave them with. And when I talk about passing the baton, I feel like there's sometimes this nameless pressure for everybody to have to like come to the same conclusions on their own. Like they've got to figure it out on their own. They've got to go through it on their own. They've got to get there on their own. And I don't think that's true. Mm. I think we're supposed to be a community and a collective of wisdom and share what we have gone through, try to alchemize what we've gone through into baton. You can pass to the next person and then they can skip that leg of the race and go farther. And so that's what I'm trying to do with this book is not only be funny and give people a little bit of room to breathe and permission to just be who they are. Mm -hmm. It's also trying to like reach back in time to Mm -hmm. multiple versions of me. Yeah. Who I've, who I've buried now. Yeah. But reach back in time and hand them something like just extend a hand. Yeah. Pull them forward. um, And at least say, I can see you. Yeah. I can see you. I feel like that's what so many of us are just trying to do. We're trying to help others skip past the parts of pain if we can, or at least be there if they get through it to hold their hand and know what it's like. I mean, I think about that with my daughters all the time. And they're like, how do you talk to them about body image? And I'm like, listen, I can't keep them from the world. I can't bubble wrap them from everything that's going to happen. But I can sit in the passenger seat of the car with them and I can show them the roadmaps that I've taken. We can talk about that, but I can't drive the car and I can't tell them which way to go, but I can be here. And that's the important part. I'm not going to take over driving. I'm not going to be able to do any of this stuff that's part of their own journey. But being here is everything. And I remember years ago, I watched as one of my friends was about to marry somebody that I strongly disagreed with. And I thought like, should I not be saying something? Is this, and I I was so young at the time and a friend that was really a mentor to me, she was about 10 years older and she always was like that big sister. She said to me, you know, she might marry the wrong guy. 
But you know what she needs more is somebody to stand with her when that mistake potentially comes to a head. If she ever needs to be in that marriage and then leave it, she's going to need the people that stood with her on that day to stand with her on the other day. And I never forgot that. Like it's, I have to let other people make mistakes with their life. I'm going to make mistakes with my life. And having people there with you in that part is so, so meaningful. And as somebody who is like, felt like I've been in the weeds before. The friends who are with me in the dirt are the ones that I want to share the flowers with as like when we were in the weeds, they're the ones that I want to share the good stuff with now too. So it kind of goes both ways, wherever you meet somebody in the path. And so when you and I were talking about what do we want to talk about on this podcast? And you said, you know, I'd love to hear what some of your other podcasts that have been really important or liked. And so I sent you the Nicole Brienne episode, which Nicole Brienne's actually been on my podcast twice, once to talk about divorce and one to talk about friendship breakup, which I call a friend divorce. And you listened mm-hmm. to that episode twice, actually. And you were like, I have I have things to say here. And it's not often that I will so quickly do a same topic twice, but that one never felt like it was going to be enough. And I knew that when you said that, I was like, no, this is perfect because to bring more stories and more perspective into something that is so painful and so difficult for anybody who experiences it, I just want to like go back into it. So we had like Nicole Brienne almost as one person to speak into it. And now we're going to have you come in. And I want you to share sort of why that spoke to you so much, why it was the topic that you eventually, out of all the things that we could talk about, that you were like, I want to talk about this. Yeah, this is what I want to talk about. Yeah. I have so much to say on it. And just recently, I felt this sort of like fever. It's almost this frenzied urgency to shake every woman I know and be like, take care of your friendships. Yeah. Because, you know, you see interviews with, with older women and they talk about their friends. You see like women die alongside their friends more often than their husbands. They're a life partner. Yeah. In some ways more often than people's life partners are. Yes. Like their romantic partner. Yes. And in my life, I had two best friends, one I met on the first day of kindergarten um, on the swing set and one from when we were nine, they were both friendships over 20 years. They were my people. Mm. They were my witness to my whole life. They were the keeper of my history and stories. I know Nicole said something similar Yeah, of just when she lost her friend she took her secrets with her. Yeah. When I lost my friends, I felt like I t- they took they took the feeling that somebody believed me mm. about what had happened in my life, mm. and it felt like no one. Oh, already getting teary. We haven't even started. I need to get it together. <laughs> but it just felt like there was no one left. Yeah. And all I ever wanted, ever since I was little, was to be believed mm. and seen. And obviously I learned a lot through those losses, but it happened for me about one week before I turned 30. So 29, I've been best friends with one person for for 25 of those years, Mm -hmm. another for 21. And they both ended in the same week. And I looked around at my life and every street, every room was haunted. There were 20 plus years of memories. Yeah. And, and suddenly my, like my heart was a haunted house Mm -hmm. and I was about to turn 30, which was this milestone. And 
I think it's so important. And I want to get back to this a little bit later to understand that sometimes when those people who have been so fundamental in building the foundation of your home, putting up the walls, putting up the plaster with you mm-hmm. that carries your life story when they leave, yeah, they leave you wondering, who am I mm-hmm. at all? Mm-hmm. And I looked in the mirror and I was like, I don't know this person. Yeah. And it was just this gut instinct, but I had to get out. And so I I quit my job and I flew to Scotland, which was a place that I had been, but they had not. Mm. And I was like, I need to go see if I can find me yeah, in a place that they can't reach me. And I do talk about this a bit in my book. Yeah. I think there's, there's two or three chapters about this concept and the different layers of it and talking about this grief and this loss and what it means as well as poetry. Okay. Listen, people, I write poetry. It's not the poetry you had to read in English class. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Every single one of my editors that read this wrote back some comment to the effect of, damn you. Now I like poetry. I know. Just give it a shot. <laughs> There's something about when words take a, when somebody is able to write in a way that you can hear the beats in your own chest when you're mm. reading it. Do you know what I mean? I love rhythmic. I have a hard time. Like I wouldn't consider myself a poet at all, but when I write, I like there to be a cadence and a beat. So when people read it, there's a flow that you feel yourself coming on the journey with me. And I write so intentionally and we've got Instagram captions. You have to realize like for so many of us, it's literally a caption. So when we take a break and put it into a new sentence, there's intention there and mm-hmm. it's meant to make you feel a pause before you go to the next thought. So poetry often can do that. It can sort of like draw you through an emotional experience connected to words. And I find for poetry, it takes away this responsibility that you're here to learn something. This seems like it's a gift. Like it's just for you. It's just like a soothing balm. Take what you want from it. But it's like leaves no responsibility. Sometimes when we're reading things, there, there seems to be a level of responsibility of doing something with it. And when you read poems, it feels like a gift of words. I don't know why that's how I differentiate it in my brain. But I even felt that in the in beginning parts of your book, because you do a poem before you really get into it. And I thought that's, you just set the tone of like our heart being fed before we're going to talk about the good stuff. And I thought that was really cool. I'm so excited for Weston to be a sponsor of this podcast because they have so many incredible things that I didn't even know about, and now I get to share them with you. Weston has over 200 destinations around the world and help make it possible for you to keep up with your wellness routine while traveling. With signature offerings that help you move, eat, and sleep well, Weston Hotels make travel an opportunity to enhance your well-being or keep up on whatever routines that you want to keep up on. At Weston, you can work out the way you want. There's a variety of fitness options to keep your wellness routine going while you're away. Maintain your focus in Weston workout fitness studios equipped with state-of-the-art equipment or get moving on a group run led by Weston's Run Concierge, a running guide and buddy who makes it easy for you to explore the local areas. Wherever you are, you can run like a local. Weston's three and five mile scenic running maps make it easy to find your best route to explore on foot. Or you can do your own thing, which is my sort of personal preference. In your guest room with workout and recovery gear that's available on demand through Weston's gear lending program. You customize your workout while on the go with Hyperice and Bala products to borrow during your stay. And if you're like me and have different nutritional needs, their Weston chefs have crafted dishes with your well-being in mind. 
Choose what's right for you based on your nutritional balance and make it easy to nourish your health no matter the destination. And of course, we have to talk about sleep. Recharge your body and mind with restorative sleep in Weston's renowned heavenly bed. Wind down naturally with Sleep Well Lavender Balm, which eases tensions and soothes the senses. At Weston Hotels, there's amenities and offerings aimed to help you move well, eat well, and sleep well, so you can keep your well-being close while away. Find wellness on your next stay at Weston. I'm somebody who's been so lucky to surround herself with entrepreneurs, women-led businesses, so many different people with great ideas, and they catapult them into something next level. But those improvements don't always come overnight. From the idea, the conception into reality, there can feel like a big hurdle there. But once in a while, one small fix can catapult you to the next level. If your commerce platform is holding your business back or your great idea or that thing you made that you're dying to sell, you owe it to yourself to see what Shopify can do. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel, whether you're selling satin sheets from Shopify's in-person POS system or offering organic olive oil on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn those browsers into buyers. What I love about Shopify and what I have witnessed through my friends with their businesses with Shopify is that no matter how big you grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify currently powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is truly a global force powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 170 countries. Plus, their award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash papaya, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash papaya to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash papaya. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, I'm Sif Heider, the founder of Array. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life or starting a successful business or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. Remember to subscribe. We drop new episodes every Tuesday. So see you then.
Girl, I think you're my ideal reader. I'm telling you. (laughs) First of all, you heard it here first, people. Instagram captions are modern poetry. They are. You're not going to hear me argue. Yeah. And I do use poetry in the book to transition from chapter to chapter to try to kind of, like you said, prep the heart for what's coming to to the head. But I think for me, what's happened over the past year and a half or so of my life, because that's when this happened. Oh, it's only been a year and a half. It's been about a year and a half. It's been a little over a little over a year and a half. Yeah. And one of those friendships, I know you spoke in the, the episode with Nicole about how nobody had encountered one of these friendships that ended with intention. Mm. One of mine did. And it was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> but it was important. Mm-hmm. And the other just never answered her phone again. Wow. And so it's book-ended experience mm-hmm. and trying to trying to find closure and trying to re-understand who I am. If I am a person who is so easy to leave, yeah. how can I be the person I think I am? Because mm. I've worked hard to be someone I think is good mm-hmm. and a good friend and a person who doesn't cost too much to love. And then these two people hit a point where they said, she's too expensive. And I don't understand why I still don't understand why. So I've been on this journey of like, how do I wrap my arms around this Mm -hmm. and give it a home? Because when you're entering a romantic relationship, I'm going to keep using this metaphor of building a house. You have the secret blueprint with a trap door. So you know, it's either going to end in some kind of permanence or it's going to end. Yes. And when you're entering, like, like you guys were using that, that terminology of social contracts, you build a trap door. And sometimes, you know, I I say this in my book, in this chapter about losing my friend of like, you run your fingers along the seam and you know that if the house starts to shake, you can get out Mm. with your heart in your hands. Mm -hmm. With friendships, especially between women and girls, we don't build an emergency exit. No. We don't expect we'll ever have to leave. No. This is the home you grow old in. Yes. This is the one you sit on the porch with your best friend and you laugh like wicked old women at all the things that used to seem so important. And when that house comes down, it comes down on you and around you. And it's so hard to get out unscathed. And then I feel like your heart is a thing in the rubble that you're trying to recover. Wow. I never actually thought about the fact that we sort of do, and to speak of Nicole's social contracts type thing, but the The fact that we really do come in with this bit of a heart of this person could like, why would they be gone? It's more of a you're only ever building. You wouldn't ever think about anything else. And I feel like in romantic relationships, we have stats thrown. I don't know the stat for friendship ending. I know the stats for marriages. I know it's 56 percent right now. I saw that in an article yesterday. So I know those stats. So you are mentally prepared for this could end. And I feel like it does change the way you operate in a relationship when you know the stats are actually stacked against you. You become more intentional. You take care of that relationship or you recognize I actually don't care enough to take care of this relationship. And maybe that's your trapdoor out. But with friendship, you're just like we're constantly in a state of building. We're only building. So it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to think about the fact that that's we come in with a level of expectation, even at the beginning, when it's in the building stage, we still have this idea of there isn't an end. There isn't an end. And it's like, I think when you're in a romantic relationship, like you're saying, you're building two things because you still have to keep yourself a person 
who is standing no matter what happens. Mm -hmm. You still have to work on knowing that like, if this all comes down, I'm still here tomorrow. With your friendships, there's this level of intimacy, this sharing of self that feels like when that person leaves, they take a significant part of you with them in this way that feels like that's a part I can never get back. Mm. And I, and it's core to me. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have given it to someone who could have taken it mm-hmm. if I'd known. Mm-hmm. And it just decimates what I think is so important for people, everybody, especially women, is self-trust. It yes. just decimates. It makes you feel like, am I? I thought I was a good judge of what's going on in my life and my character and my friendships. How could I have been so wrong? Yes. What don't I know? Yeah. What aren't I seeing? And it scares and when, you into the next friendship too. Like, can I even, do you find mm-hmm. yourself in the last year and a half sort of changing your approach to even newer friends? Or do you feel a part of yourself like I will always, like, what is your stance on the fact that you gave those other friendships so much? Is there is there a part of you that's preparing for either, but still holding a little bit back? Like, how's your heart in friendship now? Yeah, great question. And I know I listened particularly to the part in that last episode where you were saying like, this has given me these wounds that, that leach out into these other places. And it made you, it took you a long time to believe that you weren't the problem. Yeah. And this, the same thing is true for me. And I think friendships end for a lot of reasons. Sometimes when you violate a social contract by you know, maybe you're changing, you're healing a pattern that you and this person have had for a long time that works for them, doesn't work for you anymore. Mm -hmm. You try to change it and they say, no, this is ending. The message that you receive sometimes is like, you want too much from me. You need too much from me. You're not satisfied. Nothing's good enough for you. And it gives this message of like, I'm too hard to love. Yeah, That's what this is. That's why people leave. Yeah. And I do feel that creeping in to every friendship I have Mm -hmm. right now. Like I said, this, you know, this book's coming out in a few weeks and I'm a really big believer in celebrating women for more things than marriage and children, even though those are wonderful. No, I believe in that too. And I have the marriage and children. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, babe, this thing has been gestating for more than nine months. Let me tell you. And it's real heavy too. My feet are also quite tired from what I've been carrying around and put into this book. And so my, I have some lovely, wonderful friends who yeah. are, who have witnessed what has happened yeah. to me yeah, and who have been the people who I had to say to them out loud, is it okay if I keep asking the same question over and over, which is, am I easy to leave? Mm. Do I cost too much to love? Can you tell me again? Can you keep telling me? Do you have the bandwidth for that? And they said, yes, ask me again and again and again. And those friends are trying to throw me a party (laughs) for this book, akin to like a bachelorette party. Oh my God. Yes. No, this is so good. I literally, it's so fun, but I literally was like, you can't tell me anything about it because I'm going to freak out. And she accidentally mentioned like what the food and beverage coverage for a venue might be. And I kid you not, I had like a complex PTSD trigger reaction to this notion that somebody was giving so much love to me and I couldn't pay them back. Yes. And I felt this feral panic of like, no, I Mm -hmm. can't ask people 
to come to a party and pay $40 for cocktails and appetizers on my behalf. Mm -hmm. Because the minute I let them down, the minute I'm someone who doesn't live up to the person that I am in their heads, I'm going to owe them. I'm going to be in debt to them for what they've, for the love they've given me. I feel so often like there's this love economy and I'm always in debt. When I feel a friendship sometimes being distant, or even when I look back on those friendships that did end, when I felt tension, I would buy them presents because I needed Mm -hmm. them to, I didn't know how else to communicate. Like I really, really like you and I love you and I'm here and I can sense this thing. And it made me feel like that it it forced a response too. like, if you're ghosting me and I bring you a gift, you kind of have to say something, but I didn't realize like I didn't have the money to do that. I didn't have the finances to be extending that, but there, it can be both ways. Either one, you, I would, I always love supporting my friends. Like it feels like such an honor to be able to do that. So from your friend's perspective, I love it. And on the other side, I also know that there's like this weird this weird mentality that can sometimes come into friendships, especially when you feel uh, in a different place that you might like gifts can feel conflicting is what I'm trying to say. Same with like in mm-hmm. romantic relationships who like gets the bill immediately starts tallying up. It's the reason my husband and I to this day do rock, paper, scissors for who gets the bill, because there's like this weird need for me to feel like I can contribute just as much or like mm-hmm. I'm not in debt to something. So I totally relate to that emotion because I've been like a guilt gift giver for people. And I also like never want that from anybody else. Mm-hmm. Right. I will say like little side note, every once in a while, my dad will just like spit a little nugget of wisdom. And yeah. I'm like, oh, oh, so so you you can parent in this capacity yeah. and just store it up for when I, and at one point somebody was trying to give me something and I was having a similar reaction and he was like being able to be generous is something good for the person who's trying to give mm-hmm. and you denying them the opportunity to be generous is a selfish thing to do wow and i was like Screw you, dad. But obviously that's stuck. That's so <laughs> true, true, though. Being able to receive a gift is like it touches more into the ability to see your own worth and your ability to be loved, which is like goes back into the initial thing. Am, am I do I cost too much to love? So it really does tie like it's weird that you're having this tangible experience around this book party that really yeah. speaks into the bigger thing that you're asking yourself every day in friendship. There was a time that I realized I needed to go back into therapy and it was weird because I was ready to not go back to the therapist I had before. I wanted to come back into therapy, but I didn't know where to start in finding one. And I wanted to start fresh. I wanted to start from a new place. And when you go through that, sometimes even the feeling of overwhelm of finding a therapist can sometimes stop you in your tracks. Transitions can be hard. And Talkspace can make it easy to find a therapist you like and connect with. It's convenient to meet online, at home, or wherever you're most comfortable. Talkspace can make a huge difference in your life. And therapy has been so instrumental in my own life and my healing, even when I've been so resistant to it, even when I've been so slow to act and take charge of my mental health. It's also accessible and affordable. Do you think seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist would be helpful, but you don't actually have the time to find one, meet with them, or afford them? Maybe you can try Talkspace. By doing everything online, Talkspace has made getting the help you want easy, accessible, and affordable. 
Sometimes people wait until the bad things happen to talk to a therapist. And that has been me. I have gone with the umbrella method. It doesn't always work. But why wait? You can get a therapist through Talkspace and therapy can help shift your perspective, find the tools to cope in difficult times and be a guiding light even before the difficult times come. Getting started is the important part. Talkspace makes it easy. At Talkspace.com, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It's incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist from the comfort of your home. There's no need to commute to appointments, miss time at work, or line up childcare in order to attend those sessions. It's mental health care made easy. And Talkspace lets you send messages to your therapist. You don't have to wait for your next session. Therapy can help shift your perspective. And like I said, find those tools to cope in difficult times. And there might be a series of challenges that you're facing and Talkspace can help with any specific challenges. It's the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, substance abuse, relationship issues, and so much more. And Talkspace is private and secure, using the latest end-to-end bank-grade encryption technology to store client information and complying with the latest HIPAA regulations. Talkspace is affordable and in-network with most insurers. As a listener of this podcast, you will get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash papaya. To match with a licensed therapist today, Go to Talkspace.com slash papaya to get $80 off your first month, and it's going to show support for the show. That's Talkspace.com slash papaya. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Yeah, and I think I want to go back to just like, For anybody listening who's gone through friendship loss, I want to describe what it feels like to me, Mm. that grief, Mm. because I think it feels so much bigger than there are words. Yeah. But I'm going to try. Okay. Sometimes I feel like it's a bullet on a sidewalk, like I'm walking home and suddenly something cuts a path through me and I'm dropped and no one can see me. And I'm like drowning from the inside out on this grief. It's filling me up. I'm choking and no one can see me. And I just have to wait for it to pass, like being tumbled by a wave. And it feels like a small death on the sidewalk. And then at some point I can feel my legs again and I have to stand up and just keep trying to walk home Mm. and nobody noticed. Mm. And sometimes 
I'll put my hand to my chest and have this genuine moment of surprise that it's in one piece. Like in that, you know, that moment where you're just waking up and you're not a hundred percent online yet. So Mm -hmm. some things feel possible. Mm -hmm. It's that moment where I'm like, something's missing. Mm -hmm. There should be a hole here. Why Mm -hmm. is this in one piece? Why can't anybody see it? Mm. And I think you guys started talking. I mean, it's a grief. This is a life partnership, 25 years. Yeah or 10 years or five years or whatever it is. And it's gone. And when you guys started talking about, nobody notices it. You know, Nicole was saying like, you you go into the office and you're going through divorce and people are like, are you okay? Can I take something off your plate? Nobody brings you casseroles when your best friend disappears, you know? And tell me it's not a death. Tell me it's not a death when she never answers the phone again. She might as well have been hit by a car or jumped off a bridge. It's like the thing they talk about breakups where it's like grieving in a way where the other person's still alive. Yeah. How do you do that when she's 45 minutes away on a couch? Yeah. And I'll never hear her laugh again. Yeah. Like, hold on, I can do this. I was recording the audiobook and my audiobook producer, Kyle, at one point I started doing goofy accents because I love to do that. And this one, his name is Olaf and he's a little bit better than everyone. And he always has it together. (laughs) And I started crying while I was reading this chapter about my friend. And it's such this intimate experience because it's the world's most gnarly headphones. Like it's God's headphones. And you can hear nothing but the most intricate sounds of your mouth and Kyle, the producer, who's also listening to those things. And here I am crying. And he's like, take your time, Debbie, take your time. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm... And then he goes, what would Olaf do? (laughs) And I was like, Olaf. Olaf is (laughs) Yeah, so I have to channel Olaf. But I think that's such an important part of this conversation is understanding that there's no structural place for this grief to go. Mm. And there's no place in other people's world mm-hmm. for it to go. There's no home for it. You don't have a place ready mm-hmm. for this to move into your heart. And there's no, and nobody else knows what to do with it. And I've started experiencing it like it's this homeless thing. Mm. This grief is a homeless grief mm-hmm. and it wanders the streets and it's hungry and it's cold and it's begging people for kindness and begging people to see it and to notice it and to say you're real and you matter. Yeah. And it's being chased away because people don't know what to do with it. It makes them uncomfortable. It makes everybody uncomfortable. It makes them feel as a woman, like you have to pick sides. It's shameful to talk about. It's, I mean, being dumped in general or going through a breakup, at least you're like, well, this is a relatable experience. When you go through a friendship breakup, it feels so fucking lonely. It feels like nobody has so ever experienced what you've experienced. And to say it out loud is to make everybody witness to what a horrible person you must be that you were that easy to walk away from. Like you yeah. after 20 plus years, after 10 plus years, after five plus years, whatever it is. And it's, it's I would have rather never said a word about it again if it wasn't actually eating me from the inside out. Like you said, it was like, living in a haunted house, but like that doesn't go away. You don't find safety and peace in that. You don't find safety and peace in new relationships. Same with like when you go through divorce, everyone is like, they're almost over asking you about it. And then you have something like that and they only want to know what happened. And if somebody did something and then when you're like, I actually don't have an answer. Like, I don't know. We had like a weird little awkward moment and then they just disappeared. That is a really, and more of like, wow, it took so little for them to decide, were they just waiting? Were they waiting for a little bit of something to happen so they could be like, I'm actually done with this friendship? Were they waiting for the opportunity because I was too much? Because what my divorce was too much, my life was too much, me being online was too much. What was the thing? Because that's the weight 
of what you carry forward. That's what it's been for me is that what tiny thing will happen that will make everybody feel like it's worth it to walk away. And people talk about this in the context of like cancel culture and stuff like that, but you don't recognize how how real it is in your intimate relationships too, especially when you have these like little things happen and then all of a sudden it's like the whole thing is gone. It makes you tiptoe. It makes you, I, I relate it sometimes as like a personality diet. You restrict the parts of you that you fear might be the most unlovable and you become the version that you think is the most pacifying to everybody. And it's taken me like I'm literally still within the last decade of going through this. And this is still the stuff that I end up oftentimes bringing into new relationships and friendships Mm -hmm. is this constant fear of I'm only one fuck up away. I'm only one little irritation away from people walking away from you. So when we talk about things like this and it's like it is a massive, massive hole in your chest and nobody can see it. It is also we are not equipped with the tools to know how to support each other because there's so much shame. There's so much questions. There's there's no structure to anything like this. And there's a million books on divorce. And I've never mm-hmm. seen win on friendship breakup. Yeah. First, I want to validate the crap out of that and say anybody who's listening, I felt the exact same way mm. of just, I was like, I asked for nothing. Mm-hmm. I asked for the most basic amount of support from this person and they vanished. How long? Have they been waiting for the opportunity? Exactly how you felt. And I want to say, you know, this book, You're Going to Die Alone and Other Excellent News is an overarching book that I consider it a curiosity and an invitation to explore the concept of change. Mm. And is change really something to be afraid of? Or is it this inevitable force of good? Mm. You get to choose in so many moments who you want to be and you have control over that. And it offers you the opportunity to become your own kind of best friend and confidant. And when you are secure in yourself, you can love other people with loose hands. Yes. And you never have to suffocate them because you're so afraid of Mm. what it means about you if they leave. Yes. And I think so many of us want and love so hard that we clutch these things to our chest. And of course they squirm out of our grasp because who wants to be held so tightly they can't Mm. breathe. Mm. And we sort of do this cycle over and over. I have a poem in here called Loose Hands where I talk about like pressing red crescents into my palm, like drawing blood because I'm holding so tightly versus letting people come and go with grace. Yes. And I think that's that's kind of part of this book here. Right now I'm doing research actually as we speak to to pitch a new book on friendship loss specifically because there aren't media representations about this, not good ones. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of from the top down, you know, we are composed of stories, mm-hmm. how we understand ourselves in the world, how we understand other people. Mm-hmm. We're telling ourselves stories all the time and receiving yeah. them from others. Yes. And those stories start kind of at the top yeah. a lot of times or in our families and in our intimate relationships. Yes. And it's so hard to situate your pain when you have no framework or where it goes, or what somebody who's going through it does, or what they look like. There's a million movies you could turn on to see a woman falling to pieces and putting herself back together after a man leaves. Mm. But there are none about friends, except I do want to say, I think Fleabag is an interesting approach. Oh, Fleabag is maybe my favorite show. The first episode of the second season is a masterclass. But 
it's this woman whose life is falling apart in the wake of the death of her mother and then her best friend. And it's her best friend's death, which she feels guilty about in some ways. But I don't think this show is about a woman who feels complicit in her friend's death. It's about a woman who doesn't know what to do Mm. now that the two people she loved most in the world and who were the keepers of her are gone. And in the show, you never learn this woman's name. Oh, wow. You learn her sister's name. Yeah. You learn her best friend's name. She is known as Fleabag because nobody in the show ever looks at her and says her name across two seasons. Oh my God. That's incredible. Yeah. She's living. And she, in the way that that show is filmed is she's interacting with people and then she breaks the fourth wall and she speaks to you. Mm. And at a certain point, she makes it clear that she considers you, the watcher, a friend in a therapy session. Wow. Her therapist is like, do you have friends? And she says some, and she looks at the camera and nobody notices her talking off screen until she finds somebody that she falls in love with. Mm. And she looks off screen to say something to us. And then the man that she's, that's loving her goes, what was that? Who are you talking to? And he looks right at you too. For the first time, another character Mm. sees you. And so it's the story about this woman who is just begging for someone to notice her Mm -hmm. and who the feedback she gets is that she's too difficult Mm. to love. And it's her putting the first episode or the first season is kind of her falling apart, but the second is sort of her putting herself back together. What do you do now? Yeah. Can, Can you fall apart forever? Or do you have to find a way to keep moving? And I do want to talk about like, what are our options when this happens? Yeah. How do we find a way to keep going in a way that honors who we do know ourselves to be, Mm -hmm. right? Because when my one friend never answered the phone again, after I'd known her for, for 26 years, obviously my instinct is to situate her in a story where she's doing something that makes her the bad guy and makes me... (laughs) the victim because I don't feel like I did anything. Right. So I'm like, so she's doing something to me. Yes. But then I think I don't have any information. Mm. All I know is that for some reason, me being in her life was causing her pain Mm. or costing her peace. Mm -hmm. Okay. The other information I have is based on 26 years of knowing her. Mm -hmm. And for 26 years, Olaf, telling Olaf (laughs) for 26 years, she was kind Mm -hmm. and she was smart Mm -hmm. and she was brave and she would never hurt somebody to hurt them. The only time she would do something that she knew would hurt me would be if it felt like her only choice. Yes. Yes. And so I choose to say to myself, she is who she has proved herself to be to me. Mm -hmm. I won't rewrite the story because I hurt. Mm -hmm. I'll let that page end in dot, 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 as mm-hmm. opposed to a clean ending mm-hmm. because she turns out was writing that story. Yes. And at some point that story didn't align with her new one and she needed to put it in a drawer. Yeah. And and sometimes even if it's our favorite character and our favorite story, we're not the author. And so yeah. those things don't get finished and yes. we have to pick up and write our own. And I think um, in my search for a way to cope. I, I was reading Bell Hooks All About Love, which I know is like a way that I terrible have that men book. on the internet are yeah. trying to get <laughs> women to think they're chill now. But yes, for women, it's it's this fantastic book. And she does talk about in her chapter about co- community in, in All About Love for just listeners, for context, it's 
she's this great feminist thinker and she's trying to define the concept of love and she breaks it into these, I think five or six categories and then defines those categories. It's like community, trust, you know, greed, all of these things. And then she, she kind of talks about how do we apply love as an ethic, a Mm. love ethic Mm. to our life. Mm -hmm. And that resonated so deeply with me because I want to be a person who loves for free. Mm -hmm. I don't ever want to interact with anyone anymore in a way that says, I'm doing this for you because I know that you would do it for me, which is the model of so many friendships, right? Like she'd be here for me. She'd do it. Because when the chips were down, my friends didn't show up for me the way yeah. that I thought they would. Yeah. And it blew me away. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm like, when I'm intentionally caring for someone or loving for them, I ask myself, would I do this for them if they never answered the phone again? Yeah. And if the answer is no, that's not a genuine love for free because I'm trying to apply this love ethic. And she says in her book that she had a friend and a colleague that suddenly out of nowhere started publishing these scathing reviews of her work talking about how horrible she was as a person. And she had no idea why she tried to reach out, couldn't find any resolution with this woman. And it hurt her. She had this grief. Yeah. Obviously. And then she looked at it through this love ethic and looked at it through compassion of like, what might that person, what might make this the right thing to do for her? Mm. And we just don't know enough. And she said something that changed my life, which was, I came to the realization that she had been a part of my life in my community and she had a home in my life. If she chose to claim it, she would always have a home mm. in my life. And I got this image in my head of like a porch light where I was yeah. like, these friends, you know, they've hurt me more than anybody's ever hurt me. Yeah. It's still an open wound, right? Mm-hmm. I still dream most nights yes. about them leaving me. Yeah. You know, I still flinch when I hear their name, like you were saying yeah. too. Like, yeah. but. I think in some cases, obviously, some people truly are toxic in like the clinical sense of the word. Mm -hmm. And you do need to realize that this was not a good bond and keep that person out of your life. I'm not minimizing that. I'm not saying there's one right way to do this. But for me, I was like, if I'm going to be the person that I say I am, that I choose to be, that I want to continue to show up. And in my situation, people, you know, are following my story and saying, this person is somebody who is lighting a bit of a way for me. And I look up to her, like, I'm never going to let those people down Mm. by doing the thing that's easier, but isn't right. Mm. And so for me, I'm like, you know, the right thing to do in this case is to leave the light on. Yeah. And if they want to come home, Mm -hmm. they can come home. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, I don't need to understand. Yeah. I don't need to know why. I need to trust that for whatever reason, me being in their lives was, like I said, costing them peace. And isn't that what we want for the people we love Mm -hmm. is peace. And I think in my case, something happened when I went to Scotland. And for the first time, I felt truly free. And I realized that I was suffering this deep fear of abandonment my whole life. And I didn't know it. Mm. Because the people I was afraid of leaving me were my two best friends. And I never thought they would. Yeah. And when they did, suddenly there was nobody left who had old versions of me to hold me accountable to. Mm. And for the first time in 30 years, I felt brand new. Yeah. Even if I felt like a raw nerve, Mm. like Voldemort Mm. in King's Cross Mm -hmm. after he gets zapped, like Mm -hmm. that weird baby just sitting there like, this is not right. I was 
there was nobody who could look at me and say, that's not you. Yes. Or you've changed, right? Exactly. You get to change. I thought to myself, you know, a shit, a lot happened to my two friends, things Mm -hmm. that should never happen to anybody. Mm -hmm. It happened to both of them. And at some point we have to shed our skin a little bit and get rid of those scars if we need to. And one of these friends, the one that just never called me back, she had made this drastic move. She had had this drastic situation happen and she had changed almost everything in her life, but I was still there. And even though I was her best friend, and even though three months before she never answered her phone again, I said, I literally sat down and said, is there anything you need from me? I'm not giving you. Is there anything in our friendship that I'm missing? And she said, no, you're giving me everything I need. And then she vanished from my life. Yeah. Some, it can be as simple as we're two pots in a plant that love each other, but we're strangling each other's roots. Yes. And she just needed a place where nobody knew her old names, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And if that cost me mm-hmm. her in my life, take it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so fascinating because when my friendships ended, it also gave me time and space. Like you had really positive memories and experiences. And I had ones that were actually, there were parts that were negative. There were parts that we were actually not good for each other. And because there was so much history, you stay in it. Right. But I think regardless of that, I think if either one of them, and I kind of spoken to this in the other episode with Nicole, but that porch light mentality, like I, I don't know that I would welcome back into my life the same capacity in the same way or yeah. like that social contract. But my God, like the the porch light is on. Like if you need, yeah. if you need of me, I'm here. It's like in the labyrinth, right? Where it's like, should you, do you ever watch Labyrinth? It's one of my favorite movies. But like I when, saw it. <laughs> yeah. And so all of them, she's finally going and reentering the real world and they're just in the background and saying like, should you need us? Like we're here. You're now on the rest of your journey. But guess what? We're always in the background and we don't we're not in relationship with you anymore. But should you need us? We're right here. We're here. And I think that that's where I always hope to be as like a human that even if you've hurt me, even if it sucks, even if it's uncomfortable and it's hard, I would rather be the person with the porch light on and not not in a way that's like breaking boundaries or traumatizing me or anything like that. But there's part of me that's like, I just want to lead with love and I want to believe that even the people that hurt you can are capable of change and I want to speak into that because I know a lot of people have had really friendships that you when you get like you said like maybe this actually wasn't the best thing maybe our roots are strangling each other but there was no like negative interaction over the span of years so that's obviously very hard to make sense of and for me it was interesting to I didn't see what was maybe negatively impacting both of us until the relationship was over and then in even though that was so upsetting and it made me change and it made me feel unlovable. I'm also in a way like they figured it out first, like they figured it out that it wasn't great first. And it took me, it's like the dumpy to dumper syndrome. Like I was the dumpy. So I had to heal in the after parts. They had the premeditated, I want out of the relationship. Mm -hmm. And in any relationship, when it ends, when you're the one left with, now I have to figure it out and I don't get to figure it out with them. It's harder. It just is harder. If you've ever been left, and I've literally left a marriage before. So I know being on the side of the leaving, I had many years 
of building up before that final decision. And I nodded to it, but I never fully did it. And so for my ex, obviously, it was probably a lot harder in those early weeks where for me, I was like, I'm in the relief part now. And so it's it's a lot of empathy that you bring into a situation where a relationship ends, where you bring empathy to the only possible reason that they would choose this out of all my experience with them is because something was hurting them enough to do so, that that, that the only answer is to walk away. And so you lead with love and you lead with like, I'm going to believe the best of that. And I think that that is where we sort of get to, I don't know, uh, bring a little bit of positive narrative to something that is repeatedly so difficult, especially for women and so quiet in the in the experience of being a woman. And I think that what's interesting is your whole book is sort of walking us through. Well, I haven't read the whole book. I've read little bits of it. So I just have like this blind belief of the whole book now. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) (laughs) But it just seems to do that. It seems to walk us through the untouched things that we need to put identifying feelings to, because when you figure those little bits out, you begin to, like you said, become a little bit more of who you are. And so tell us as we sort of wrap up, because I feel like I could talk to you forever Share with me, first of all, I'd love to hear where the title came from, what brought you to that title and sort of give us the book launch information, because I think this is going to be one of those books that's like the very like, I don't even know how to say it. Like, it's like the hug with power, right? It's the kind of thing that like you need to hear and it might kick your ass a little bit, but it's going to be good. We're going to get through it. And I love that. Oh, I literally feel like you have a spiritual understanding of this book. <laughs> no, I literally was reading this book and I was like, it's like you, you know, when certain people think the way you think. And I was like, no, mm-hmm. I could have written this. Like, this is the way I think. And it's also so inspiring because so many times I've been asked if I would write a book. And I was like, no, because I'm not finished yet. I'm too in the mess. And then so to read this, I'm like, you're kind of in the mess. And I, I'm yeah. like, whoa, you're like me, you're in it, but you're still speaking and you're still sharing. And I, and I love how powerful that is. And I think it gives a lot of people permission to start even in the mud, telling their mm-hmm. stories, start storytelling. It's your life and it's your experience. And like you said, passing the baton, it's not complete and that's okay. Totally. I actually, like I said it, it in the introduction, because I, I've traditionally been a person who doesn't let anybody in until I'm through. Mm. I'm not going to talk about something when I'm in the middle of it, yeah. but I'll give you a postmortem when I'm done. Yeah. But you can't, you can't come here and touch my pain mm. while it's raw. And this book demanded of me that I walk back into every room of my life where I'd closed a door and left something unfinished and finish it, mm. or at least open the door for someone else to come look. And so you're like dead on the nose with that. And I said in the intro, the last thing I kind of say is like, I don't pretend to have all the answers. And I suspect by the time you're reading this, there will be things in this book I might wish to have said differently or not to have said at all. Yeah, We're always changing, always learning, always growing. At least I hope we are. Mm -hmm. And so a big theme in this book is self-compassion, is being able to let it effing go. Mm. You did the best you could with what you had and nobody could have asked for more from you. Yeah. And, and you're right. I tried intentionally to write this book, like a perfect no skip album Mm. where I hold your hand and I will take you into the depths of very hard things and ask you to reevaluate things about yourself. You thought were done, but I won't leave you in the midst of that or stand on top of a mountain and say, look what it can be like when yes. you finish. Yes. 
I'm going to walk you through. If you don't want to do it for you, you can just stand next to me while mm-hmm. I do it for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I try to take each reader on a journey from being someone who's hurting and isn't sure why to being someone who understands themselves with enough compassion and love that they can stop this pain from coming, this unnecessary pain yes. from finding them yes, and stop from letting it become the leading narrative of their, of their life. Mm. So it comes out October 3rd. <laughs> it's October 3rd. It comes out October 3rd. Tell me about the title though. I got to know. Oh, you're going to, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to die alone on other excellent news. Listen, you know, I'm a little mouthy. I'm a little, I'm a fast <laughs> no talker. No kidding. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've been very soft on this podcast, but get me on a roast and like, baby, game on. And that is not a traditionally feminine trait. Yes. And the women in my family are traditionally feminine. And when I was growing up, I was big. I was a thick boy. I was running in the mud and the dirt. I was loud and smart and wanted to be the president of every elementary school. And I heard fairly often, if you don't change this or that, if you don't get less intimidating, if you don't stop judging men on dating apps for being men, quote unquote, which I think we all know yeah. what I mean by <laughs> yeah. that. I'm like, I have a million images immediately. Yeah. Screenshots, you're going to die alone. Yeah. And Ooh. this was, it sort of wielded as this club, this threat over mm-hmm. women of like, imagine dying as a woman who's never been chosen by a man. And I just was like, God, I hope I die alone because that's, <laughs> I like myself a lot and I've worked yeah. really hard to do so. I'm my favorite person. I'm the only person that's guaranteed every day of my yeah. life next to me. Even if I notebook that shit and mm-hmm. die holding hands with somebody, yeah. you cross the rainbow bridge, they're not there. Come on. Yeah. Whatever happens next, you're starting over alone. And mm-hmm. so it's sort of this cheeky way of being like, being alone, if you can figure out how to enjoy your own company is a really wonderful way to be. Mm-hmm. And then it opens you up to so much more genuine love mm-hmm. and connection mm-hmm. because you don't need other people mm-hmm. to love you, to mm-hmm. feel like yourself anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you're going to die alone in other excellent news. It's a collection of essays, stories, poetry, read it. That just sort of explores a lot of concepts from societal concepts. Like there's one chapter called We Deserve Better Supervillains Than a Dude Named Jeff. totally coincidental name, but like looks into like capitalism and the effect on in a very fun way. There's, there's talks about different elements of society, patriarchy, all that stuff. There's also like a letter to my mother's inner child. Mm, Wow. That's trying to heal intergenerational Mm -hmm. things that get passed from mothers to daughters. Mm -hmm. There's also, you know, a chapter about what it feels like when your, your best friend says, I can never forgive you. There's a list of how to let go. Mm -hmm. There's a story about how Furbies all turned evil at the same time (laughs) with no explanation. (laughs) And how Beanie Babies I saw the Furby thing and I was like, you're kidding me. This is amazing. Yeah. You know, there's a story about the haunted house I lived in in college. There's a real haunted house, not one full of old friendships, a real haunted house. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Real. (laughs) Totally real. But then it's like a contemplation about metaphorical ghosts. I'm yeah. I'm a writer, guys. But it's, you know, it's it's a love letter. I wrote this book to be a note passed between girls in class, yeah. to be the note you slip in your best friend's locker because her boyfriend dumped her between second and third mm-hmm. period, to be the casserole I can leave on your doorstep because yeah. someone's gone. And I also wrote it 
to be so that when you get a call from your neighbor who says her mother died, you are not without a casserole. Yeah. This is not a book about me. It's not a book about something. I wrote this book to be for somebody. Yeah. And it's for anyone. Yeah. Who is brave enough to say, I want to be who I am on purpose. Yes. Yes. You know, and honestly, if I'm going to just speak to one thing that I get DM'd about the most when people are going through big life change, whether it's usually relationships, usually divorce, because a lot of people do see that now that I'm, you know, remarried and they see that as the mountaintop. Right. And they forget, like, my God, do you even know how many scars and scrapes I'm still healing from? I'm nowhere near a mountaintop. I'm like just genuinely stopped on the path and like we're, we're mending ourselves on the way. But the biggest thing that people will say to me is like, what what would you what would you say is your biggest advice when you're like in the midst of leaving a relationship? And I'll say that it was my biggest discomfort and my biggest discovery. And that's being alone and not in the way of like that we think that it is, but like genuinely I had a friend Kenzie who I met once and she was paused from, it was one of the first times I sat down for coffee with her and she had paused all dating. Cause she was like, I need to figure out how to date myself. I need to figure out what it is to be alone. I had to do it in a very uncomfortable time where I was living at my parents and I had three kids, but even taking a drive by myself and being like, where is it that I want to go? Or in a night that I didn't have my kids going like, I'm going to go to a restaurant by myself and experience that. There's so much discomfort and there's so much discovery because for the first time, you're not asking everybody else in the room what they want. You're only asking yourself. And when you figure out how to be alone, it trickles into how it's the reason I'm with somebody that I'm so happily married to is because I got to figure out who I was and bring that into the relationship. Mm -hmm. And I get to keep figuring out who that is. It is a life skill. It is a fact. It is a truth that we are the one. And I'll say it a million times other, even though I'm like in relationship, even though I like have all those things, if I'm not in pursuit of that relationship at all times, the rest Mm -hmm. can crumble. That's just the reality. And we need to know who we are especially I found over the last couple of years going through postpartum again, you kind of get jolted of, wait, I forget who I am and I need to be reminded. So I love that you kind of take away that idea of being alone, even in the end is the worst possible thing that could ever happen to you. And I think that it's beautiful that you titled it like that in, in a way that was not a negative. I think I read it at first and was like, what are you saying? But then when Mm -hmm. you say it like that, I'm like, God, that's love. Like, that's so beautiful. And I'm, I just love this whole episode. I can't thank you enough for this last hour together. I'm excited for the book now that I've had a little taste of it. I'm excited for the whole thing. (laughs) For everyone listening, I'm going to have the details of the book and Devery's socials in the notes as well. But thank you so, so much for your time and for your love and energy and storytelling into the show today. I feel this was very kismet timing, I think, for people listening, for myself, everyone. So thank you. And uh, I appreciate you. And congrats on the book. And I can't wait to see the party. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. I'm going to take photos at the party. It ends in a sleepover (laughs) with the girls. Like we're throwing it back. But I just want to say like one closing idea to take away is that when we're talking about these losses and these people that can leave us, the way that people love you And the way that they can love you is a reflection of them and has nothing to do with you. Mm. People will see you the way that they need to in order to carry on. We're all just trying to make it. Yeah. And so like you have to build your image of yourself. You can't let other people reflect back to who you are and believe it. Wow. 
And I'm so thankful that we got the chance to talk about this. And thank you for being so vulnerable and yes. like watching me cry. Yeah, no, I, I'm usually the person crying on the podcast. I feel like I counteracted you a little bit today, which was shocking because normally I'm the blubbering nice. mess on this side. So I energy. was Olaf today. And yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I I felt that I'm, yeah, but no, I think this was perfectly vulnerable. And uh, I feel like we're going to have you back in the future because I, I already feel oh, like people please. are going to be Loving, loving, loving this one. So I appreciate you so much. And for everyone listening, we're going to see you next week. And uh, thank you, Devery. Thank you so much for listening all the way through this episode. If you've made it this far, I have one more little thing to share with you. Did you know that I actually have a photo and video editing app? So many people were surprised to hear that I have one, but it's actually been around for a little while. And you can join over 200,000 of the Papaya community by downloading my free app, pink papaya on iOS. While so many apps focus on changing your appearance, pink papaya is all about celebrating yourself for exactly who you are and expressing your creativity and your storytelling with nearly 50 free filters and tools. Find us on social and share your edits as well. We might just share them too. So tag me as well at pink papaya app. Just had to share that with you, especially as the springtime's coming. We've got some really cool things happening in there and so much more coming. Check it out at Pink Papaya app. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at The Papaya Podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.